Salutations, my friends. And thank you for tuning in to a very special edition of Factions of Freedom. I'm your host, Noise Era, Freedom Faction, whichever one you prefer. And I have titled this episode, The Paranormal Perspective, Volume 8. <laughs> yes, as many of you are listening to this, Halloween has just passed. It is now Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. But our diehard fans are probably listening to this on the eve of Chris, on the eve of Halloween, or the night of. We have a lot of different things to talk to you guys about: offerings from the dark side, Ouija psychedelic precognition, and strange tales from the ether. But before I tell you guys about all of these amazing stories submitted to us by you, the listening audience, and the people on the page, a few quick updates. Download the show notes so you can follow along. There's a two-part. There's a show notes so you can get an organization of what's going on, and the stories submitted alongside with them. There's a lot of different things that we discuss in this episode memes and links that you can find in the description bar below if you guys would like to have more you can also download the raw pdf version to follow along previous volumes will be listed in the description bar along uh, as well as the journeys of the psychonauts the series that we did with adam nix and jc abbott of the wayfinder podcast which plays a huge part in what we discuss in the second segment entities from another universe coming through the minds of DMT users, we have a lot of things lined up for you guys in this strange transmission. And with that being said, let's start the show. Salutations, my friends, and thank you for tuning in to a very special edition of Factions of Freedom. I'm your host, Noise Era, Freedom Faction, whichever one you prefer, and this is show number 917, season 9, episode 17, and this is The Paranormal Perspective, volume 8. And because we have new listeners every single day, every single week, Tuning into the show, I'll break it down a little bit slow for you guys. You know, the paranormal perspective is essentially my tribute, my homage to the paranormal, to the supernatural. The reason why I started all of this in the first place, the paranormal perspective is meant to be a way for our audience and our audiences to know that they're not alone when they're experiencing these things. The paranormal perspective is you the audience it's you submitting your supernatural stories your paranormal happenings and then me cleaning them up removing the internet speech and adding them to the show adding them to the collection of tales that we have that document the strange that take a look at the mysterium we always talk about a lot of different things on the show but with the paranormal perspective I try to make I try to do things a little different with this series because it is 
it's so different. We're not going to be getting into politics. We're not going to be getting into conspiracies or anything like that. No. We're going to try and narrow all of this energy, all of this weird into one place, into one area where we can focus it. You know, I love doing these stories so much, not only because it shows uh, the diverse demographic that we're working with our, with our audience, but also how people still to this day, and even throughout their childhood, and even more so, are experiencing the strange. You get all kinds of tales, and sometimes we do this show over here on Fellowship and Freedom, sometimes we do it over here on the flagship show. Sometimes we get people that submit their stories. Sometimes we have people that call in their stories. They have them email them to us. We have a lot of different ways of diversifying the information because you good people deserve it. And that's why we do this. Episodes like these are not meant to be news-oriented or informative. They're supposed to remind you of that classic campfire feel of what happens passing down those tales from generations to generations. This is something that's been with us since time immemorial. And here we are today, still trying to discover what it is. You know, because this is the eighth volume of doing The Paranormal Perspective, we've kind of shied away from covering things such as UFOs, triangular crafts, strange things like these because of the announcement of the fate of the Space Force. Now, this does not devalue or denote any of the other UFOs that are out there, any of the other extraterrestrials, intraterrestrials, interdimensionals, any other type of non-human being. That doesn't disclude any of these things because I truly believe that we do live in those days. I talk about it all the time that we may turn ourselves into aliens, but that there are already aliens here. And while we do not cover UFOs and little green men so much as we'd like to, I just think people need to understand we approach things in a very, very different way over here. We look at as much information as we can, we try to break down as many different facts as possible, and we try to connect the dots in every single way. Does this configuration work? I mean, can you think, think about it this way. While we're still here talking about UFOs and aliens, we're in the day and age of transhumans. Not transgender people, but transhumans. We've discussed mass embryoid creation, human-animal hybrids, animal-human hybrids, organoids, mini-brains. The world that we truly do live in today is strange, without doubt. But you know what they say, gang. Truth truly is stranger than fiction. And that's all we're really discussing these days, aren't we? My truth, your truths, the world truths. A lot of different truths are happening. A lot of lies are being dispelled. And the truth is being shared. It's being exposed being brought to the surface we have a lot of different um, we have a <laughs> we have a beautiful collection of tales for you ladies and gentlemen this evening this morning whatever time you are listening to this we have a beautiful collection of tales stories events and even historical historical accounts from the 80s of mysterious forces plaguing families 
tales of black-eyed kids, trickster spirits, and so much more. You see, gang, we simply think that the paranormal is just UFOs, ghosts, aliens, and things like this, but I can tell you, it truly is so much more, and the more that you begin to pay attention to it, guess what? The abyss stares right back at you. And as you see the paranormal, so does the paranormal see you. We have a lot of different things to break down to you good people. That is for sure. And if you haven't, I would definitely suggest that you check out previous volumes of The Paranormal Perspective, where you've heard us cover topics in so many different ways. As I said before, we've had people call in with stories, some of which you've heard me mention here on the show. People that call in with memories of a place that they've never been, communicating with people that never existed. That's right. The Mandela Effect. Time slips. False memories. We discuss a lot of these different things and more. But in this edition, we really try to let you guys know that the dark side, it is there. And that it is real. And that it is us that has to try to keep the light at bay. Or have to keep the darkness at bay with the light. Understand the days that we live in, gang. And with that being said, let's start the show. I'm going to start the episode off by actually playing for you good people an experience, or at least a story of Jay, Jay of Truth is Our Religion, a guest that we've had on the show. He recently shared his paranormal experience on social media. I asked if we could play it for you good people, the audience, on our show, and he definitely gave us our blessing. And without spoiling so much... Let me get that ready for you, good people. Okay, so me and my buddy are looking for something to do tonight, and I was looking into haunted houses and haunted insane asylums, like legitimately haunted places that uh, host tours, right? And then I realized my old house, which is haunted, is like right around the corner. Look at this place. It's all overgrown. sleepovers and I say try because every time I came over here to sleep over I felt like a dark presence down 
heirs. That was his room before my family moved in years later. Um, we'd sleep up there. Nothing was wrong in that room, but I felt something dark in this main dining room and down in the basement. And uh, every time I tried to sleep over, my mom had to come pick me up. And this wasn't the case in any other you know, house that I stayed in, any other friend that we would have sleepovers. Um, so, I'm getting the fucking creeps being here. I'm gonna show you guys some stuff and tell you exactly what happened here. Okay. I don't know what's in this room, but it's infested with black flies. There's like hundreds of them. Look at this shit. I don't even want to go up here, man. <sighs> okay. Gate is open. So I'm gonna show you guys the backyard. It's all overgrown. Uh, the whole place is boarded up pretty much. Nobody's lived here in, you know, since we moved out. And there's some vandalism. That board says my property. I don't know why. But, um, okay, I'm gonna cut to the, tr the chase. What the fuck is that? Okay, um, <laughs> I heard footsteps, um, when I lived here, I felt something and saw something that scarred me for life, and it was when I went to the basement one day after I got home from school, uh, the basement's down there, you can see the window, um, I went to the corner of the basement to get my ski club stuff, and there was a light bulb that was like on a pull string, you know? So I pulled the string, and the light bulb flickered, and then it shut off. And as I was about to turn around to go get a flashlight, I ran to the corner of the basement, and I ran upstairs to get whoever was home. And sure enough, nobody was fucking home. And uh, I pretty much like ran out of the house. And that's only one of many things that have happened here. See, like on my shut, it turned back on, but it didn't stay on. It blinked in a synchronistic pattern. And that's when I felt some, I was like, okay, like that's not normal. Um, if you guys have any logical ex- I'm getting the fucking creeps right now. Oh, dude. Right, I'm gonna bounce. I was gonna come and break in here tonight with my buddy and go in the basement, but, uh, no, not gonna happen. Thank you for that, please let me know. But, uh, I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up and I, like, ran upstairs to get whoever was home, because on the way to the corner of the basement, I heard footsteps. Oh, oh, shit. So, later on, whenever I actually talked to Jay, that was as much as the story that we could get. Whenever I talked to Jay, he ended up going inside the house and taking pictures, uh, and we he, he clearly saw, it. it was the craziest thing, because we had this conversation. He took a picture of a window and you could see a door in the back but you could see something obstructing the view of the frame of the door as if there were something inside the house observing him as he was taking a picture very very strange definitely strange indeed and then I, I, I remember talking with Jay asking him so w tell me a little bit more about this situation he said every relationship that was in that house it was destroyed there were strange things that happened around the area 
There were there were a lot of strange things surrounding that house, and then it also made me start thinking and talking to Jay, you know, about his his spiritual awareness, what he had come encountered with, uh, what 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 he remembers from his childhood, and why he felt the courage today to revisit it. So very very fascinating story, nonetheless. But it makes you think a little bit more about these types of things. Maybe you, the audience, maybe you've lived in a haunted house. And then maybe you have to ask yourself, is it the house itself or is it the land in which the house sits upon? And these are things that people don't really think about. These are, this is why exorcisms are important. This is why cleansing rituals are, impor are, are important. Burning sage, burning white sage. Uh, this is why these things that have been passed down with us throughout our history have been important. Next, we're going to be getting into a story sent in to us by you, good people, the audience, by the page known as Taylor Made Beats. I call this one Offerings from the Dark Side. The devil has always tried to reveal himself to me. His face appeared in a blanket before I went to school in the first grade. I messed up the blanket so his face wouldn't appear, but... That wouldn't be the last time that I'd seen him. I've seen demons and spirits at that very same time, in that very same room, all throughout my childhood years. I've had near-death experiences as well. He's even offered me riches and tried to get me to pray to Mother Mary Magdalene instead of Jesus Christ, but that just drove me even closer to understanding Christ. I made a video of it on YouTube. And unfortunately, we were unable to acquire this video. But for people that don't know, we're in the days of not only strange things, but because the paranormal is becoming even more widespread than people think, you're having individuals have more of these experiences, more of these strange happenings. Not only lifelong experiences such as that, being offered riches and strange things as, such as seeing the devil, but beginning to understand themselves more, understand nature, understand the human experience, so to speak. And what I'm really saying is people are beginning to ask certain questions of things like, well, what is a near-death experience? And for people who are unfamiliar as to what that is, it's essentially a moment where, you, <laughs> where your life flashes before your eyes. We have a spicy meme put up on our page. You guys can find it. I'll put the link in the description bar below. But there's a study that suggests that there is life after death, and that's exactly what these near-death experiences are. You see, seeing your life flash before your eyes, experiencing time slow down, or having the feeling of drifting out of your body may be more common than first thought, as the study suggests that 1 in 10 people have had a near-death experience. Danish researchers studying the body's response to imminent mortal danger, real or otherwise, said these experiences are triggered by the same mechanisms that cause lucid, wakeful dreaming. Respondents reportedly variously, meet, respondents reportedly variously meeting past family members, feeling their souls sucked out or being paralyzed by a demon sat on their chest, a phenomenon which has since become a recurring dream in one of the participants in what they're Alluding to right there is the sleeping 
the sleep paralysis phenomenon, the sleeping hag syndrome, as some people call it. Offerings from the dark side. What happens if, said this person, did allow for the devil to give them riches? What happens if they accepted that bargaining chip? Just keep that in mind. Not as we go into our next story. No, this person didn't actually accept the bargaining chip. They didn't take what the devil gave them. No. For this next story, we're going to be traveling a little into the past to understand what's going on. We're going to be reading a story, or at least a tale, of the Tallman family from Horicon, Wisconsin in the 1980s. So kick back, because this is a doozy. It says in the 1980s, we have the harrowing case of the Tallman family, who, in 1970, or 1987, moved to their new home in Horicon, Wisconsin. Like many of these cases, it was a dream of the young family until it unraveled into a nightmare, beginning when they one day purchased a bunk bed at the second-hand shop and set it up in their children's bedroom. Almost immediately, their kids fell sick, one by one, and the clock radio next to the bed would suddenly go on the fritz, turning on and off, or switching channels at random for no reason that anyone could discern. At first, this was only seen by the children, and their parents wouldn't believe them. But they had a change of heart when their father, Alan Tallman, was one day painting a wall, only to look away for a moment and look back to find his brush had instantaneously moved from beside him to the paint bucket, where it had been propped up with the brush end facing up. Whatever weird forces were terrorizing the Tallman children intensified, with shadowy figures lurking in the shadows and the presence of a frightening red-eyed witch who would appear in the room to stalk about their beds. Accompanying this various inexplicable incidents of doors slamming or shut and disembodied voices that all members of the family heard or saw. One day, Alan, Alan Tallman shouted out in frustration that whatever was there should come for him and leave his family alone. And this seems to have worked as the forces began to come for him in a major way. One of the first attacks against him was when he was in the garage one day, when he was distracted by a howling sound and a voice from the shadows that said, Come here! When the startled Alan went to look at he felt an intense heat on his back and realized that the garage was on fire. In a panic, he retrieved a fire extinguisher only to find that the blaze has, was gone without a trace and there was no damage whatsoever. Something was clearly messing with his mind. Just as he realized that there was no fire and he began to think that he had imagined the whole thing, his lunchbox then allegedly was thrown across the room to smash the pieces against the wall. Things would get even more terrifying for Alan after he had foolishly challenged the very possible, the very possible notion or the very possibly demonic forces of the home. He was so worried for the safety of his children that he started sleeping in their room at night. And it was at that time that he witnessed a fog to congeal before him and, for, and issue forth a voice that simply said chillingly, You're dead. A few days after this relative was over and also witnessed the entity in the child's bedroom, and it was also and it was all enough to convince the Talmans to move out once and for all, destroying the bunk bed in process. 
Fortunately for them, the evil presence did not follow them. The case has gone on to feature on Unsolved Mysteries and in the book Haunted America by Michael Norman and Beth Scott. And the family has insisted it is all true. Do you imagine that? Seeing smoke congeal, grow in front of you. And then issue forth a voice to tell you that you're dead. Imagine that. But it shouldn't be too far-fetched understanding the world that we live in today in the 80s. I'm sure that would be something terrifying. Spine tingling and terrifying nonetheless. But in today's society of technology, magic, wonder, and more, is it far off? I want to point you guys, you good people, again in the direction of this spicy meme that we created. Discussing things like Ouija-Zilla, the world's largest Ouija board. Now in the 80s, things like Ouija were considered demonic. The work of spiritualists and occultists. But today, we literally have them being erected inside of parks. But before we get into this... Ouija-Zilla, the world's largest Ouija board. What could have created the conditions for a ghost to begin terrorizing a family in the 80s? Where was it summoned? Did someone place it there? Or was the spirit always there? You see, we don't really ever ask these questions. How do they get here? What gives them a foothold? And then what makes them stay here? We know time and time again that they feed on fear, yes. This is true. On some of our negative emotions are lower vibratory states, as some might say, but who brings these entities here? And for what purpose? And for what purpose was this Ouija board created? Let's get into this. We're going to be talking about Ouijazilla, the world's largest Ouija board. It's that time of year again. The leaves are falling, the temperatures are cooler, and with Halloween happening as we speak, things are getting weirder. Beyond the seemingly harmless spooky holiday decor in and outside of many homes and stores, there are some spiritually dark things taking place as well, like the record-breaking massive Ouija board in Salem, Massachusetts. Known for the infamous Salem witch trials this year, a Ripley's Believe It or Not record has been set with the world's largest Ouija board that now sits in Salem Common. And some people want to summon big spirits when using the board as a group. The large board is called Ouijazilla, and its and its maker, Rock Amortis Shrek, <laughs> took a year to construct it. The Occultic Talking Board Society said, quote, It is by far the largest board in the world. Ouijazilla is made of 99 sheets of plywood covered in 20 gallons of wood stain and paint. It measures at 3,168 square feet, weighing over 9,000 pounds. Rick Shrek is the vice president of the Talking Board Society and received Hasbro, Hasbro Incorporated, who owns the rights to the Ouija board, their permission to make Ouijazilla. It is said that he is, has over 300 personal talking boards and wants to increase his chances of communicating with the spirit realm by making boards animal, out of making boards out of animal and bone and human hair and human ashes. He is currently wanting to make his dream board out of a black coffin. 
Coffins, ladies and gentlemen. Making Ouija boards out of hair, bones, ashes, anything else they can find. Was that what plagued the Tallman family? Is that what our, our, our audience member, our listeners submitted was plaguing him? Who knows what entities they're summoning and for what purpose? This next story is called A History of Sensitivity. It's actually two stories in one. Or not this one. This is, this is just having a history of sensitivity. Understanding that while you may not think about it, you've seen a lot of strange things throughout the entirety of your life. And the minute that you begin to call, recall upon one strange thing, the threat of curiosity leads you to understand more. It leads you and begs the question of what else happened that I was unaware of? Are there other forces at play? Yes, this next story, it comes from the real Ali Eel. It's called A History of Sensitivity. She says, I saw a massive saucer with bright lights right over my head to put me in a trance at about the age of seven. I just saw three more pretty clear as day with other witnesses over the last three months. When I was eight, I had a vision and begged my aunt and cousin not to get into their car, to head home. But instead, they wrecked. Just like I had saw in my vision only 30 minutes prior. Both of them were safe, thank God. I get vision messages, like charts or moving lights and shapes that are alive and mean something. When I was little, my mom would hold an M&M in her hand and then tell me the color in her mind and then I would say it back to her. I've been able to see specific milestones on some people's charts and I can't control that. But I get specific info about people and it's right. I can't explain it. I couldn't breathe one night as a kid and in the middle of the night, I woke up pretty frantic and saw a black hand, like a shadow, closing my bedroom door. It was a hooded figure, and the shadow was dense, not like a shadow you see of yourself walking next to you. I walked through an outline of my great-grandmother in my old house, and whenever, again, I was about eight years old or so, me and my four cousins were tickling each other on the bed and laughing out loud, all joyful, when we heard what sounded like a weird, scratching noise. We stopped playing, then didn't hear it again. So we kept on playing. A few minutes later, we heard it again, and at that minute, as if it was done on purpose, the light shined through the window and showed an etching on the side of our wooden desk that was right near where we were playing. And the etching said, David. We all flipped out. Fifteen years or so later, I was told that David was the name of my spirit guide by the late Sylvia Brown. I only just now realized how many things I've gone through. So glad I saw this post. And we are so glad to have your story, Allie. Unfortunately, we are sad at the time being because we have to take a quick break. We have to... Let your mind take a rest, because we're not done. 
No, 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 no. <laughs> you see, just like Allie remembered her paranormal stories, remembered all these strange things, you have to remember that this is just the beginning. Families being plagued by mysterious, voice, mysterious voices. The devil offering children various gifts only for them to consent. Giant Ouija boards being created. Oh, no. And houses being haunted and plagued. We're just getting started, my friends. You see, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be getting into what I consider psychedelic precognition. Again, signs of the universe and understanding yourself. You see, as I said before at the start of the show, yes, there are strange things going on in this world of ours, but do we have the senses? Do we have the awareness to notice? We're going to be talking about this and more on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. This is Freedom Faction of Factions of Freedom. And we'll be right back right after this.
<laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> I hope I didn't keep you waiting. Didn't notice you there. I was in creep mode. Full creep mode. <laughs> this is my favorite time of the year, if you cannot tell. You see, the strange is something I'm all too familiar with. It's this normalcy that's so foreign. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. You see, I think people, they vastly underestimate the days that we're in. They truly do. It's as if they don't understand that we now have open Satanists, open witches, open warlocks. People creating whole new religions, whole new magical practices. We have people wanting to come into contact with the other side. You know, we, we, we talk a lot about literally everything, you know, from uh, mirror universes, particle accelerators, Satanists, uh, organized occult operations, militant uh, militant uh, witches and things of this nature. We talk about a lot of the occult rising and the magic resistance that we see because the spiritual world is very real. And as much as people would want to deny its reality and, re and deny its influence, that makes you the fool. Because you see, we only hope that things happen here in the physical realm, that there is some type of altercation that takes place. You see, everything else manifests or happens in the spiritual world. It is through that which all of this, where we find ourselves today, are working. I talk with a lot of great people. I'm hum I am blessed to be able to have conversations with some fantastic people. And one of the things we discuss with you, the audience as well, these days, is how there truly is a spirit being poured out into the world. America itself is receiving its own portion of it but the world itself is experiencing some fervor. Experiencing some form of magic. Something is happening here. And the only other way that we're able to describe it is with the ethereal, with the immortal, with the divine, with the esoteric, with the occult, with the cosmic. The heavens, the very selves, are pouring out a whole new time for us, and we can feel it in our bones. We think it's all of these perceived threats, but we know it is something even greater. And in doing so, and in pouring out this spirit, you have people that are drowning. You have people that are digesting. You have people that are falling away. You see, this spirit, it comes for everyone. It does not discriminate, and everyone is able. And that's how it works. Everybody is able to receive this spirit and receive this energy. They do, either intentionally or unintentionally. But the, 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 the powerful thing about it is understanding that you, yourself, channel that. You can do something with it, to use these new age terms. And this is why we have to discover a whole new word, a whole new, a whole new uh, uh, lexicon to speak about what is happening to us 
rediscovering the ancients, rediscovering the wisdom, rediscovering the truths that have been hidden from us. The word occult means only hidden. But there is nothing hidden, nothing hidden under, under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. And all that is hidden shall be re revealed by the light. And even these strange things that we discuss with you good people, it's being brought to the light. These people, they thought they experienced these things by themselves, but no. This is something that coexists in parallel with humanity. And we are still trying to figure it out today. <laughs> and I am so honored to be amongst you good people to do so. Let's get into some of these amazing stories. Speaking of understanding your gifts and taking the time to really understand who you are, I want to read to you guys kind of a throwback story from Christensen Moreland. Understanding your gifts. I think he breaks it down in a beautiful way. This is a story, or at least a comment, left whenever we ask the question of, have you had a paranormal experience? Christian Morrison, uh, Christensen Moreland had this to say. He said, we are all given a gift by God. Our genetic history has the proof. The real humans have souls which enable us to connect to the unseen realm, sometimes called the astral plane. Others know it as the spiritual realm. Whatever it is to you, as we all possess the power of God in ourselves, eat right and live in the light, and you will tap into that power. Shoes and most footwear are designed to block natural electric and magnetic flow we are created to feel and use to be one with the earth. A simple way to begin restoring one's spiritual abilities is to walk around barefooted. Some people refer to this as grounding. Sadly, concrete and buildings are much hardly, harder to remove. Some of us live in jungles of steel and stone, and so, with that said, you can still restore yourself through prayer, meditation, and stretching. Not yoga. Yoga was invented by Shiva, but copy the movements. And understand that whenever you enter into this state, you leave yourself open. Thank you, Christensen. You see, there's a completely, there's a whole new understanding to what we think of as consciousness, what we think of as, as the divine, what we think of as being alive in these times. You see, we, 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 we are, we're, we're on the verge of understanding humanity in a completely different way. The multidimensional brain, it's very real. This is why you see them feverishly working on technology to, to, to mimic our brain. The jelly between our skulls is capable of so much, and it not only does it receive so much information, it also transmits it to us, and then to you, the audience, and other individuals that you come into contact with by extinction. By, by extinction. You see, understanding your gifts is just that, a gift. Because not only do you see how blessed you are, but you also see who gave you the blessing. Eat right and live right is very true. Live in the light and you'll know. Understanding your gifts is very important. We have a lot of people that, 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 that come to us burdened by their clairsentience, their clairvoyance, their clairaudience, hearing and feeling these things in such a deep way. It's because we live in a world that shuns these gifts. 
that looks down on these things as if it's a form of mental illness. It is no. These things have been with us since time, and it is our ignorance that perpetuates this. It's because people don't understand their gifts, understand their psychic potential, their spiritual prowess, the gifts bestowed to them by the Most High. It's because they don't understand these things that they lose them. There's so much to us. I could go on and on. If you've listed in previous editions, we've talked about uh, Project Growth Flame, Project Sunstreak, Project Center Lane, and Project Stargate. Projects that have been conducted in the 70s that do validate the fact that people have what they consider psychokinetic, psychokinetic potentiality, PK abilities. These things are very real. But because these tests have already been conducted, new ones have to be run out. New abilities are being, as I said before, given to us by this aforementioned spirit that's being poured out on humanity. And the best way for some of these places to enter, the best way for us to get this information is through our mind. I want to point you good people in the direction of, again, this spicy meme that we created about Johns Hopkins University. They've launched a Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research. Think about that. Johns Hopkins University recently announced the opening of the Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research at the facility with Johns Hopkins Medicine that will be dedicated to studying psychedelics and their potential to be used medicinally. The research center is the first of its kind in the United States and the largest of its kind in the entire world. The unprecedented research effort is being made possible thanks to the $17 million in donations from private investors. Although it is important to note that half of those donations were gathered by one person, the best-selling author and podcaster Tim Ferriss, who also donated $10 million of his own money in addition to organizing half of the outside investments. Researchers at the new Johns Hopkins facility will be studying psychedelic substances and their effect on the human brain. More specifically, they will be seeking possible treatments for mental health issues like addiction, depression, PTSD, Alzheimer's disease, eating disorders, and a variety of other conditions. The new center will be directed by Roland Griffiths, a neuroscientist who has pioneered the psychedelic program at John Scopson's for over, past, over the past decade. In fact, the research that Griffiths and his colleagues have done at Hopkins over the years is likely the, res the reason that the university was chosen for this facility. In 2012, Johns Hopkins made news with a study showing that the psychedelic experience can help terminally ill patients come to terms with their own mortality. Numerous other studies conducted at the university since have shown the tremendous power that psychedelics have to bring people out of a negative thought pattern that they have been stuck in for many years. For example, in a 2014 study that was published in the Journal of Psychopharmacology, researchers at Johns Hopkins found that psilocybin mushrooms could help Long-time smokers kick their habit. So think about this. Why are we talking about psychedelics in a time, <laughs> in a time like this? Psychedelics in relation to uh, psychedelics in relation to the paranormal. How does that make sense? Well, you really have to understand that a lot of the times, not not only whenever people see certain things. 
psychedelics are sometimes used as a gateway to allow other worldly other th- other worldly entities to come through. And a strange part about a lot of this is this is part of your gifts. This is part of the understanding that people have somehow forgotten. You see, when I, I just have to make a quick plug to tell you guys in the description bar below at our website or on our YouTube channel, make sure you listen to Journeys of the, Psych- of the Psychonauts, parts one through four. It's an eight-hour series where we go into depth about things like psychedelic and so much more and how it can be used as a tool and as a portal to understand the time that we live in, to understand the gifts and the abilities, to understand that there are other entities, other energies, and other forms of awareness out there, and that these substances, these tools, can be used to understand the world that we live in so much deeper. But why are we talking about that in relation to the paranormal? Because that is the paranormal. Some people come back from these trips changed, completely new transformed. It's it's as if the veil has been removed from their eyes. It's as if they're able to see not only with their third eye, but they're able to truly perceive things in a completely different light. You see, humanity has to understand that we truly are powerful and wonderful beings. And that if, and only if, we begin to understand ourselves and our configuration deeper, that's whenever we'll begin to appreciate all the things that we have before us and more. But you you don't want to hear ranting. You want to hear more about these paranormal stories, which leads me to our next story. Psychedelic precognition. <laughs> Again, understanding your gifts and understanding what the individual can do. This comes from Ian Esteban and in this title in its title Psychedelic Precognition. Something that I do find so interesting, but let's get into this. It says my entire childhood I would have dreams of events or of being in a specific location. I'd take note of my surroundings and things like peak pink coat, playground, destroyed, building, etc. And as time went on, almost every single dream I had ended up coming true. Dreams of people I didn't know who I eventually met. Feelings I didn't recognize that I've had to grow up to feel now. Deja vu so strong that it felt like I wasn't even physically there for a second. Thank you, Jan Esteban. Deja vu so strong... He couldn't even feel like he was there for a second. Now that, that's the kicker. And we've had many guests on the show where we've talked about this, this form of psychedelic precognition where people feel like they're tapping into whatever else is going on as if time itself already exists and we're just having to go through it. It's as if they're tapping into the literal time stream their own time stream, and then the greater time stream. Does that mean that, 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 that do we have free will? Is there destiny? Is all of this already happening, and we're just, are we history's actors, and we just have to play through this? Think about that. Psychedelic precognition. What could that mean for the individual, for humanity? Are our brains 
brains, as I said before, how are our brains just receivers for more of this otherworldly energy, that jelly in between our skulls? There's got to be something more to humanity than just paying bills and going about our life in this capacity. There's so much more to humanity that for us to literally only think of ourselves in this way, it diminishes all that we are. You know, I, I, I want to get in this article I pulled up for you guys because it talks about this, this form of psychedelic precognition. And then I also want to talk about uh, more of these, these strange things, how your mind truly is a gateway. Uh, but I want to get into this article that we that we pulled up to you, or that we that we got for you guys earlier this week. It talks about how scientists have discovered that the heart and the brain respond to events before they even happen. Again, and I don't that doesn't count as psychedelic precognition, but it gives credence or makes me start thinking that there is more to our brains, to these receivers. You see. This article comes from Collective Evolutions by Aaron Walia. They put this up October 15th. It says, scientists discover that the heart and brain respond to, respond to future events before they happen. And there's no way that I could get into this article in its entirety. I would definitely recommend you guys go check it out. And I'll put the link for it in the description bar below. But it says, is precognition real? There are many examples suggesting that, yes, it is. The remote viewing program conducted by the CIA in conjunction with the Stanford University was a good example of that. After its declassification in 1995, or at least partial declassification, the Department of Defense and those involved revealed an exceptionally high success rate. To summarize over the years, the back-and-forth criticisms of protocols, refinement of methods, and successful replication of this type of remote viewing in independent laboratories has yielded considerable scientific evidence for the reality of the phenomena of the remote viewing phenomena. They're talking again about Project Stargate, Project Centerland, Project Grillflame, and Project Sunstreak. Adding to the strength of these results was the discovery that a growing number of individuals could be found to demonstrate high-quality remote viewing, often to their own surprise. The development of this capability at the SRI, the Stanford Research Institute, has evolved to the point where visiting CIA personnel with no previous exposure to such concepts, have performed well under controlled laboratory conditions. The kicker? Part of remote viewing involves peering into the future events, as well as events that happened in the past. It's not only within the Department of Defense that we find this stuff, but a lot of science is emerging on this subject as well. For example, a study published in the journal Frontiers in Human Neuroscience titled, quote, Predicting the Unpredictable, Critical Analysis and Practical Implications of Predictive Act Anticipatory Activity, examined a number of experiments regarding this phenomena that were conducted by several different laboratories. These experiments indicated that the human body can, uh, can actually detect randomly delivered stimuli that occur 1 to 10 seconds in advance. In other words, the human body seems to know of an event and reacts to the event before it has occurred. What occurs in the human body before these events are physiologically changing, before these events are physiological changes that are measured regarding the cardiopulmonary, the skin, and the nervous system. Now think about that. 
They literally are conducting tests, not only to see if everyday people, CIA personnel even, can access the astral plane through remote viewing. Not only are they able to replicate the, prop, the, 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 the process of remote viewing, but they're also able to study that the heart and mind has its own predictive system. Think about that. How is that not strange? How are you not strange? How are you not amazing? Yet they want to hide these things from you. They don't want you to know of your beauty. Know of your capabilities. Imagine that. You see, this is the beauty of humanity. These are the things that... <laughs> these are the things that blow people's minds. But speaking of having your mind blown, I want to talk about another thing that escapes us that we have got to come back on and really discuss. I find this, a, I find this to be a very, very powerful question and a very, very powerful Revelation, while we're over here in the mind, contemplating all of these other, strange, these other strange things, our mind being a gateway not only for time, but for space, let's ask the question of, do entities from another universe inhabit the brains of psychedelic DNT users? Think about that. As you, because your mind truly is the gateway. They call it the gateway process in these documents that I was mentioning before with Project Grillflame, Project Sunstreak, Project Thinnerland, and Project uh, Stargate. Sunstreak. <laughs> Your mind is the gateway. There is something working. Something cosmic, something multidimensional, and your mind is the vector point for everything that is strange. But... Do entities from another universe inhabit the brains of psychedelic DNT users? Is there a compartment after these people consume DNT or mushrooms or any of these other psychedelic substances that acts as a compartment and a vector point for other entities to come through? Let's get into this. It's from Conscious Life News. They put this up June 6th. It says, Have you encountered stickmen, machine elves, or other discarnate entities while tripping brains on DMT? If so, you're not alone. The use of the powerful, fast-acting psychedelic, psychedelic dimethyltryptamine generates reports of such entities on a regular basis. DMT has been around for a long time, although it's never been that popular, and encounters with extra-dimensional critters may be a part of the reason why. Back in the 1970s, it was known as the businessman's trips because you could take it at the beginning of a lunch hour and be back to normal in the time that it was time to go back to work. When smoked, the psychedelic effects begin almost immediately and fade away with half an hour. It's also the active psychoactive ingredient in ayahuasca, the mind-melting tea concocted by the Amazonian shamans and venerated by the Uano by the Unio du Vegetable, the Union of the Vegetable, a Brazilian church with some 1,500 or 15,000 adherents. In an article in Psychology Today, Scott McGrill zeroed in on DMT's remarkable ability to allow its users to, quote, encounter non-human intelligences often resembling aliens. What's more, McGrill notes, citing the work of pioneering DMT researcher psychiatrist Rick Strassman, quote, 
some users come away from these encounters convinced that these entities are somehow real. Strassman, who detailed in his 1990 or 1990s research findings in DMT, the spirit molecule, explained that under high doses of DMT, experienced volunteer subjects experienced rapid and overwhelming psychedelic effects, losing awareness of their surroundings and their bodies as the effect peaked at around two minutes. After the initial rush, the subjects were able to describe their continuing experience and generally reported visual imagery that could be seen with the eyes, open or closed, brighter, more intense, and more deeply saturated colors and kaleidoscopic geometric patterns. According to Strassman, quote, about half of the subjects went even further, entering into what he called, quote, freestanding independent levels of existence of a most unusual nature. There, they said they encountered intelligent, quote, beings, entities, aliens, and maybe even guides. Do entities from another universe inhabit the brains of psychedelic DMT users? Or, when people take DMT, is their consciousness being transferred elsewhere? Is there a completely different vector point for humanity, do we interface with other realms, other universes, via the mind? Just something to marinate on. And I'll put that link for you good people in the description bar below so you can go check more of it out because this is the mind. This is the psychedelic precognition. This is what we're all capable of. What we're all doing. What we're all experiencing. And we don't know, unfortunately, we don't know of the other realms and the other entities that are there. You know, I hear people all the time talk about how Earth is just this base realm, how we are three-dimensional, and how we know that there are dimensions even higher than this, even greater than where we are right now. But how do we get there, you see? <laughs> how do we get there? And I'm debating whether or not I should save this for the next segment, but I'll go ahead and leave you good people with this. I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and then we'll, we'll get into this next story and close out this segment for you guys. I've recently been talking about how throughout history, with the Tower of Babel, even with the Aztec calendar, the concept of space is not what we might think it is. We're forever trying to escape this dome or escape this realm, this reality but we are quickly realizing that our bodies are configured for here. It's what resides in us that has a longing for elsewhere, that wants to escape. This is why we're having discussions of things like the simulation hypothesis, the matrix. Where are we going? Who are we? Is this real? Are we all projections of something greater? Am I even myself? These are the days that we're moving into. This is why things are getting so strange. But keep that in mind because we'll get into more of that in the next segment. But for now, I'd like to read you good people this next story. This is the two for one. This comes from NS1 Lyle. And we've called this Signs from the Universe. They say, yep, I have two stories, two times of when I've experienced the paranormal the first time was when I was like 10. 
and singing inside my mom's closet. She had a walk-in closet, so it was really big. And when I was in there, I felt like someone put their hand on mine. It felt super real, and it was really gentle and soft. But the weird part was that when it happened, I sang something about an angel taking me to heaven, and I thought that was pretty weird. The second time was really recently, actually. My beloved cat got killed. Someone drove over him, and I was completely ruined for like a week, and I couldn't stop crying. And I meditated to him, and the night after he died, right at his grave, and I felt so much energy in my head, it felt like I was almost going consciousness-less. It was amazing, and I didn't feel scared, stressed, or anything. I felt really happy. I knew it was my cat, and the day after, I woke up to a bird. My cat's favorite bird that he always used to hunt. It appeared in front of me, and I started getting super relaxed. It sat really close to me, but then after a while, started acting like a normal bird again, and tried to get out. While the bird was there, I felt like it was my cat, and I was extremely happy. I miss him so much, and I love him so much. But anyway, that's my two, my two paranormal experiences. And I know how that goes. I think we all have critters that touch us in the right places. Critters that make us feel home. I now have these, these chickens in my life, and there's something else, let me tell you. I don't think they'd come back to visit me. No, but I do worry about my dogs and their sweet, sweet souls. So I do understand, and I do appreciate you sharing that with us, because I thoroughly do believe that we are all experiencing varying, varying stages of this life that we're in. All different forms of it. Be it from the chickens, to the dogs, to the birds, to the plants, to the rodents. We're all experiencing varying things of this. And that's why you have to have a general respect of life. And an appreciation for everything that we see going on. But I tell you what, gang. What I don't appreciate is taking this quick break. Because when we come back... We're going to be getting into more of this goodness. Again, asking the question, what is space? Are our minds vectors for otherworldly energies? Where do we come from? Where do these otherworldly entities come from? Where is this energy coming from? We're going to be talking about reality-ripping lasers, physicists looking for a mirror universe, and some great stories about encounters with black-eyed kids. We're going to be getting into this and more on the other side. Listen, you ladies and gentlemen, you ghouls and vampires, don't go anywhere. This is Freedom Faction on Factions of Freedom, and we'll be right back right after this. Thank you. 
<laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You're back. I hope you've been effectively weirded out, embraced the strange, because we're going to come back in this segment and try to hit it hard, asking again the deeper questions. You know, we find ourselves kind of getting distracted on the curious notions of things, the mysteries of the universe. But can you blame us with times these strange? Can you blame us? It seems like every day is Halloween. Every day we have something strange. But why is that? Why are these things happening to us? Because it's, again, that time frame that we're in. People need to know that whoever or whatever force is at play is unveiling itself, and it has no qualms about it. It's letting itself be known. That force truly is taking over. Consuming the hearts and minds of many as it runs rampant. You have some that are able to withstand it. Some that are able to fight it. Some that know about these things. But then you have the many that are being taken. You see, there's, there's something going on in this world of ours. I talked to you guys about this before we went to the break, that they're really trying to crack open the veil. If it's not through CERN, 
Maybe it's through things like Weegezilla. Think about that. There's that techno sorcery again. If they're not trying to crack open our dimension, smashing particles and doing strange things like that at the Large Hadron Collider, or if they're not erecting 99,000 pounds Ouija boards in Salem, Massachusetts to summon big spirits, well, <laughs> could it be that we actually have scientists developing lasers capable of ripping reality? Could this technology be creating portals? You have new technology that could allow a high-velocity laser to pierce through the fabric of the universe. People generally balk at the idea of scientists experimenting with and, manip and manipulating certain pillars of physical reality, whether that be gene splicing and artificial intelligence or nuclear fission. But in the last couple of decades, a new twist on the modern Island of Dr. Moreau-style narrative has surfaced in the form of scientists experimenting on high-velocity elementary particles, such as the CERN-Hadron Collider and other quantum enigmas. Laser physicists recently chortled, quote, hold my beer, in announcing that they are developing a laser so powerful that it can shred all matter, including the very electrons and the nuclei that constitute the fabric of reality itself. Earlier this month, the, and this was back in September, but earlier this month, the physics journal Physical Review Letters published a paper discussing how new technology could allow a high-velocity laser to pierce through the very fabric of the universe. The trick, according to the researchers at Paris Saclay, is to anchor and focus the laser using a mirror made of plasma. In an analysis written for Ars Technica, physicist and writer Chris Lee broke down the logistical hurdles the new technology could overcome. By consolidating a, a 5 to 10 petawatt laser for around 5,000 or for, for around 5 to 5,000 joules of energy for somewhere between a picosecond or a femtosecond, scientists can muster an intensity of 100 of 1,022 watts over a time period, which is a pla which is when a plasma site or plasma state kicks in and creates a conductive gas of excited particles whose electrons reflect light. Other laser experiments have, con have concentrated as much as 200 petawatts of power on a target for less than a trillionth of a second. Using a plasma mirror, scientists can reach 100 or 1,028 watts and accelerate electrons to the point where they will be, quote, generating real changes from the apparent nothingness of empty space. Quote, the way the mirror oscillates also means that the light frequencies are multiples of each other's, writes Chris Lee. The mirror reflects all these colors together, and they add up to a pulse that is even shorter in time. They're telling you that they have the technology and that they're conducting these experiments. They want to see what's on the other side of the veil. Not only is there a veil, not only is there a barrier protecting us from good Lord knows what, but they're conducting experiments to break through it. That's the crazy part. We're not talking about uh, Operation Fishbowl and Operation High Jump. We're talking about present-day experiments that are being carried out to break through, to rip into a completely different reality. Because that's where we're going. That's what we want to do. You see, we understand that there's other worlds. There's other dimensions, that there's other places and times, and that there are entities that inhabit it. Some Christians call them the second heaven, the third heaven, the fourth heaven, and so much more. You have new agents that call them uh, different densities and such, here and so forth. There are dimensions, different worlds, different universes, different places 
of being. And something is bleeding through. And it seems like every single time throughout history, as I said before, with the Tower of Babel, it seems like we're always trying to break through. Is that not the archetypal tale of the story of Babel? Of reaching into heaven to dethrone God? Getting, all, getting together all peoples? Unifying the world with one language? And then what did they decide to do? Reaching into heaven. Let's, let's read this real quick. Just about the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, it's a narrative in Genesis 11, chapters 9 through 1, or ch chapter 11 in Genesis, verses 1 through 9, it's an origin myth meant to explain why the world's people speaks different languages. According to the story, a united humanity in the generations following the Great Flood, speaking a single language and migrating westward, comes to the land of Shinar. There, they agree to build a city and a tower tall enough to reach heaven. God, observing their city and tower, confounds their speech so that they can no longer understand each other and scatters them around the world. But think about that. Just, just truly think about that. The deeper meanings of that, of coming together, of unifying and saying, you know, we want out of here. We're going to get out of here. We're going to break out. We're going to reach as high into the heavens as we can. Not in this case they used it to dethrone God but unifying the people so that they would come together and break out of this realm what does that sound like other than the matrix but there is something that keeps us here something that says humanity is earthbound you see because we are aware that there, are other, that there are other places that we can't go to other realms. We just got done talking to people about psychedelic DMT entities that come from your brain. Well, now let's talk about some, some physicists in Tennessee that are beginning to look for a mirror universe. That's right. Physicists are searching for a mirror universe, a whole universe. It opens up to a whole new universe. But before I get into this, let's just talk about this for a second. Every time these people either successfully or unsuccessfully do these things, what are they bringing forth? What are they bringing through? What gets a foothold? What leaks through? What energetic exchange occurs when we're ripping into the very fabric of reality? This is not normal. Maybe with one of these paranormal perspectives, we'll travel back in time and we'll look into the work of John Dee, one of the famed magicians and occultists for the Queen of England, and how he himself came into contact with these entities. He helped pioneer the scrying orb, the crystal ball, that type of working. Why do we understand that mirrors can sometimes be a gateway for these entities to come through? And how is it that we, as the vector points, have to witness these things in order for them to get here? There's so much that goes on with humanity, but we don't ask those questions. Or maybe that's why they don't want us asking these questions, just the same way that we understand that people, even CIA personnel, have the potential to understand their psychokinetic abilities, that they can access the astral plane, that they can conduct things like 
remote viewing. Regular day people have these supernatural abilities. Regular day people are seeing these types of entities. But they don't want it to be real because it would scare people. It would remind them of their ability to confront these things and their very real reality. Let's get into this. Let's talk about this. These physicists that are searching for a, a, a mirror universe. If the mirror universe exists, upcoming experiments involving some atomic particles could reveal it. At Oak Ridge National Laboratory in eastern Tennessee, physicist Leia Broussard is trying to open a portal to a parallel universe. She calls it an oscillation that will lead her to mirror matter. But the idea is fundamentally, sa is fundamentally the same. Of a, in a series of experiments, she plans to run at Oak Ridge this summer. This was put up back in July. Broussard will send a beam of subatomic particles down a 50-foot tunnel past a powerful magnet and into an impenetrable wall. If the setup is just right, and if the universe cooperates, some of those particles will transform into a mirror image of themselves, allowing them to tunnel th right through the wall. And if that happens, Broussard will have uncovered the first evidence of a mirror world right alongside our own. It's pretty wacky, Broussard says, of her mind-bending exploration. The mirror world, assuming it exists, would have its own laws of mirror physics and its own mirror history. You wouldn't find a mirror version of yourself there. But currently, there are theories that allows you that allows you that might. But current theories allow that you might find mirror atoms and mirror rocks and maybe even mirror planets and stars. Collectively, they can inform an entire shadow world, just as real as our own, but almost completely cut off from us. Leah Broussard studies subatomic particles at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, where she will be searching for the mirror matter this summer. Broussard says her initial search for the mirror world won't be done or won't be especially difficult. Quote, this is a pretty straightforward experiment that we cobbled together with parts we found lying around, using the equipment and resources we already had available at Oak Ridge, she says. But if she unequivocally detects a, even a single mirror particle, it would prove that the visible universe is only half of what is out there, and that the known laws of physics are only half as much broader, uh, only half as much of a broader set of rules. If you discover something like that, quote, the game totally changes. Broussard says. A mirror world, a mirror universe with its own set of laws. Think about that. But even if that were the case, I just, even if that were the case, that would mean that there's a completely different version of yourself out there, a completely different version of everything, an anti-version of yourself, an anti-human you see, there is something bleeding through into this world, and there is something guiding it. And there are people that want it to come through. You must understand these things. <laughs> you must. We all have to. That's the crazy part. We all have to understand these things. You know, I, 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 wanna, I, I know we said we weren't going to try to get overly political in this episode, but I want to play for you guys, or at least find for you good people, the clip of, of, of Jordy Rose from D-Wave Computers, who recently came out, again, making not necessarily, uh, not, necess not, not, not saying strange things, 
was saying the truth in relation to AI. I had mentioned to you guys beforehand that using technology and sorcery the te and, and magic, that they're doing these things, that they're trying to bring forth something. But Jordy Rose, the creator of, of, of D-Wave Quantum Computers, he recently came out again talking about how these AI, these AI demons that we're going to be summoning, you see, these AI demons, there's something there that we're, 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 we're opening the doorway for something even strangers to even stranger to come through and if we don't approach this cautiously we may be very well opening up the abyss opening up Abaddon Apollyon the gates of hell you've got to and I just want to say this real quick because I think I will play for you guys that clip I just want to say we have Google computer Google's quantum supremacy talking about their ability to uh, unlock any type of encryption known to man. They have uh, 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 machine learning AI capabilities of uh, capable of, of, of knocking out encryptions that took almost 10,000 years to undo. They did it in like a few minutes. They're, unable, they're able to unlock quantum satellites. Their uh, encryption's basically dead. They're able to track every single Bitcoin transaction with these this this new quantum computer think about this we're literally in the days of talking about something that is skeleton key it literally hacks <laughs> reality now we have technology that can hack reality that can break the code but imagine if they were able to point that in the direction of something that say did have a lock on it say there were an actual gate to hell and I don't mean a physical one, some type of chastity belt for hell, but a, a spiritual one, an ethereal one, something that has to create the conditions of the environment and the time. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't the computer do everything in its possible, in its capabilities, to create the conditions to unlock it, to, 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 to zero out that equation? We could very well be summoning something on a completely different level that needs both the technology, the spirit, the mind and so, and the environment all to be in perfect harmony in order for it to be there. So I just want you good people to keep that in mind because now I'm going to play for you guys that quick clip of Jordy Rose talking about how we may be summoning demons when we're playing with these things. Just keep that in mind. It means, you know, different. These things that we're building are not going to be people. They might be really smart. They might be really good at all sorts of different things things, but they're not going to be like us. They're going to be aliens. And they're going to be, sorry to say, way smarter than every single person in this room in ways that we can't even comprehend. So this, of course, triggers a lot of alarm. One of the guys who talks about this is Elon, who uh, says things like this, like, when you do this, beware. Because you think, just like the guy in the stories, that when you do this, you're going to put that, that, that little guy in a pentagram and you're going to have your holy water out and you're going to wave it at the thing and by God it's going to do exactly what you say and not one thing more, but it never works out that way. So uh, this, is an, this is an attitude that some are having, this emerging alarmism about the way this is going to go. But this, these words, demons, doesn't capture the essence of what's happening here. Uh, 
I don't know if any of you are uh, turn-of-the-century weird fiction fans, but there's this guy named H.P. Lovecraft, who's a very famous American weird fiction author. And he exposed a, a view which is called cosmicism. And the essence of cosmicism is cosmic indifference. So he, what he was saying is basically, yes, there are these massively intelligent entities out there, but they're not good, they're not evil. They just don't give a shit about you even in the slightest. The same way that you don't care about an ant is the same way they're not going to care about you. And these things that we're summoning into the world now are not demons, they're not evil, but they're more like the Lovecraftian great old ones. There are entities that are not necessarily going to be aligned with what we want. So this transition is really, really massively important for our entire species to navigate and going back to that thing that Sam Harris was saying, nobody is paying attention. This thing is happening in the background while people bicker about politics and what what's going to be in the house. No one's paying attention. You heard it from the man himself. The man literally creating quantum computers to do the very same thing that he's trying to warn you against trying to do what Elon Musk said he was going to do, warn people about the AI demons, about the AI entities that are coming through. Just think about that. We're going to get back into some of these paranormal stories. I think we've gone a little bit off the trail enough. Let's get back into some of these stories. I just think people should keep that in mind, because when they are, Doing whatever it is they're doing, conducting whatever types of experiments they are, something is coming through, and they cannot control what is coming through. But let's get into some of these stories, more of your stories. <laughs> this next one I call El Mysterio. This come, it comes from MRSLT. It says, when I was on the beach in Mexico with some friends. The tide was low, so it had pools high on the beach. I remember that I had on a headlamp and heard something splashing in the pool. I looked that way, and whatever it was was bending down. I thought, is that a person? It was right next to me. When I shined my light back in that direction, it had run 50 yards in seconds, standing upright with its eyes reflecting like an animal, like an animal's eyes in a flashlight. It kept turning around and looking at us as it left, but I couldn't make out what it was. Was it an El Chupacabra? An alien? Whatever it was scared the poop emoji out of us. We were both elbowing each other, saying, Did you see that? Because we couldn't believe our eyes. It was white and walked on two legs, upright. What do you think it was? You imagine something moving that fast, you look in one direction, it's gone. You look back at it, it's right in front of you. And then when you try to look away, it's already run. What can move that fast? What's going on in Mexico? Interesting. Now this next story. This next story, for people who are aware of the spiritual and aware of the supernatural, they should be aware as to why 
this would be a story in the first in the first place. We always talk about making sure that you don't bring negative things home with you, that you have people check their drama at the door. This next story comes from Kiss the Rings. The story is called Bringing Home the Dead. It says, when I was really little, I tried to exhume a body from a slave graveyard in the woods. And later that night, the burglar alarm and the fire alarm would go off randomly. The TV would turn on and off. And in the morning... I saw a man standing in my room, just looking at me. He only went away after ten minutes of me opening and closing my eyes. You think he brought the home, the dead? A trying to exhume a body? You see, I think every culture knows we're supposed to lay our dead to rest. But I think inherently we all know, cosmically, however you want to call it, if you go against that natural flow, if you disturb the dead, if you do not let them rest in peace, you are incurring an unholy type of wrath. Because that's exactly what it is. Which is why the story itself was titled Bringing Home the Dead, because that's exactly what he did. He tried to exhume a body from a slave graveyard. The person had probably lived an arduous, hardful life. And then this person came through to disturb their sleep. So you bet they were woken from their slumber. Disturbed from their sleep. To come see what you're doing. To come see what you are. This next story. Talks a little bit about. Not necessarily. <laughs> we, we, we had mentioned earlier in the transmission. About sleep paralysis. People being plagued in their sleep haunted by ghostly figures and things like this. We had talked earlier in the transmission about this and the story from Funktown Sinhunit talks just about it. Call this one Petrified by Sleep. So sometimes I see a blurry figures in the, in the corner of my eyes. It could be my mind playing tricks on me, but it's not a consistent thing. If anything, it happens on odd days. Sometimes I just hear random knocking on my front door, and when I go to check it out, no one's even knocking. And I know that sounds harmless, but there are points in my life where I suffer from sleep paralysis on almost a daily basis. And that is where it's frightening to me. Yeah, you may not experience it, and you read articles online about how it's something that our mind creates, but I can assure you that that's not the case. If that was the case, why do some people suffer from sleep paralysis while others don't? Since it's a common thing, our, our imagination, our minds are always making up things. Why don't others make it up? I have had sleep paralysis since I was a kid, and it continued to bother me. Only when I'm drowsy and at the stage of where I fall asleep. Somehow, I can sleep the sleep paralysis about to happen, and I always try to prevent it. Sometimes I succeed, but other times I'm doomed from the nightmares and wake up in cold sweats. So what is sleep paralysis? People literally being unable to awaken from their slumber, being terrorized in their dreams, only to wake up and still be paralyzed, unable to do anything. 
That's one form of it. The other form is of people consciously being aware of a force putting pressure on their chest, suffocating them. Sleeping hag syndrome. It's as if a, rest, a woman is resting upon their chest. You see, but let's go a little bit further. Let's go even deeper into the abyss. This next one comes from the Bushon. Call this one Phantom Canines. Once, when I was in a hostel, not a hotel, but a hostel, I was always afraid to be alone in my room at night because we had heard about a few paranormal stories that happened there. One night, I was alone in my room, and I was trying to sleep, but thoughts just kept coming into my mind. About an hour might have passed, and I was laying on the bed when I heard something that sounded like an angry dog growling just on top of my head. Keep in mind, I was laying on my back. I got scared and covered my whole body with the blanket from feet to head, as I was afraid to look behind. Pretty dumb, right? I waited in the same position uh, another hour, praying to God, and when my friends arrived, I told them everything. Next Sunday, I got home and was studying in my room when I heard that same growling just behind me this time. I wasn't scared at all. Turned around behind me and there was nothing. Maybe it was a placebo effect because I had never experienced something like that or anything again. It only made me stronger as if there was anything that wanted to hurt me. It would have, but it didn't because it couldn't. But I believe more that it was my mind which was convinced, and nothing else. Nothing else. Hmm. Could it have been the mind fabricating these types of things, creating this scenario for him? But if he had never experienced it, how could it create it? And where would those thoughts be called from? You see, we have to understand the world these days is increasingly crazy. It's getting a lot crazier out there, too. But that's because we're beginning to understand ourselves a lot differently. And not only are the times revealing everything and more, but we are beginning to comprehend things in a completely different way. I want to briefly talk about <laughs> some, not only so many different things, but I briefly want to talk about something that is that a, a relatively new phenomenon that I see kind of happening because we do pay attention to these strange paranormal tales and so much more things like lizard men bigfoot sasquatch you know the mothman ufos aliens from zeta reticuli all these other things we, we, we pay attention to this the history of them because it is important it really is not only to see what people were thinking at the time but also to see how these things evolve and the commonalities that we still see today like bigfoot disappearing like people disappearing in, in national parks, thanks to the work of David Pilates in the Missing 411 series. The, the work of Nick Redfern and so many other people. Bud Hopkins, um, you know, Dr. David M. Jacobs. So many great people have literally contributed. Oh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, rest her soul. So many great people uh, 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 have contributed to this 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 wonderful story of understanding all these paranormal things that are happening that you have to understand the history to really get a good a good understanding of these things you see like it that and, and what i'm trying to 
get around to, under, to talking to you guys about is this new phenomena of black-eyed kids. This is, this is relatively new. Sasquatch has been going on for quite some time. We've always known about ghosts and demons and strange things like that. Same with the chupacabra. But you don't hear a lot about black-eyed kids. You don't hear a lot about those guys. And the strange things that they're involved in. That's, that's the weird part. But this, uh, this next story that I have for you good people, we're going to get into that. We're going to be talking about these black-eyed kids and the strange things they're doing and more. You know, one of the spookiest of all paranormal phenomena, if you ask me, is the black-eyed kids. You know, they're sometimes described as children between the ages of five all the way up into their teens. Never any adult black-eyed kids keep that in mind. They appear to be normal, but on closer inspection, they can be seen to have uncommonly pale skin and unsettling eyes of pure black, like marbles, set within their skulls. As well as what is usually described as an old-fashioned or out-of-date clothing. They can appear alone or in groups, and although the behavior of these entities can vary, there are some common threads that stretch throughout all the cases. It will usually seemingly appear out of nowhere to approach vehicles or residences where they will usually ask for a ride or claim that they've been let in, that they have to be let in because they need to use the phone or some sort of emergency. Almost universally at this point, the witness will describe feeling an overwhelming sense of menace and dread emanating from the child and will feel repelled and unwilling to let the kids in. This only makes them more insistent, and they will sometimes become incredibly aggressive, but it appears they cannot actually come in unless they are invited. If one is to let them in, well, we can only think that that's going to be not a typically good scene. Since stories have been circulating in the 1990s, the black-eyed kids have launched themselves into the realm of true spooky folklore and sinister legend, with hundreds of supposed sightings and encounters with them posted all over the internet, and the sightings have occurred all over the world. In this article, we decided to take a look for some of the, these encounters that occurred around Halloween, and I unsurprisingly found some. One of them is from a Reddit user, Halloween Warning, from Portland, Oregon, in the United States. He claims that it was around Halloween time, and he had noticed that his neighbor had not put out any decorations, which was unusual for him. When the witness jokingly told him that he should get to work de getting the decorations out, the neighbor apparently told him that he was going to keep his house dark that year because of a spooky experience he had the previous year. And when the commenter asked him more about it, the neighbor supposedly told him that some kids had come around his house that previous Halloween, and assuming that they were trick-or-treaters, he had taken out his candy bucket and gone to the door. However, when he got there... He was surprised to see two kids who were not dressed in any noticeable costume, and they were just standing there, staring at him, with eyes as black as obsidian. The Reddit poster says of the events, that this is how it played out. He said, one was probably around 13 or 14, and the other was around 16 or 17. Both boys. They weren't dressed up, but he remembers the older one wearing a flannel checkered shirt, he was immediately overcome with uneasiness, like the opening like opening the door was a huge mistake. They just stared at him, and he noticed that they had really big irises and, delight, and dilated, uh, dilated pupils. 
He couldn't even see the whites of their eyes. So he figured they were contact lenses. He was frozen there, holding the candy bowl, like he couldn't slam the door in their face as much as he wanted to. So he nervously tried to smile at them, hoping they would, quote, break character and ask for candy or something. The younger one said that they had gotten lost and needed to come in and use his phone. That's when, that was when he closed the door more than halfway on them and said, no, sorry. And the older one said, can we just wait in your house until our parents come out and get us? But by then, he was convinced that his life was in danger and these kids must be high or something or intended to rob him and he was just... And he just kept mumbling, no, sorry, good night, as he inched the door closed and locked it. He told me he was so effing scared at that point that they were going to break in through one of the windows or something. But he looked through the peephole and they had turned to leave. He watched TV with the volume really low so he could hear any sounds at all. And he said that he stayed up till like 5 a.m. because he was too scared to go back to bed and drop his guard. The whole time he's telling me, I'm thinking, oh my God, this sounds so familiar, just like the Black Eyed Kids urban legend. Then I thought, hey, maybe this dude's trying to scare me, because after all, he does have the Halloween spirit. So, I'm looking at him incredulously, but he's trying not to seem gullible. So I'm like, man, that is really crazy. Sounds like the Black Eyed Kids. He just looks at me blankly. He says, what is that, a movie or something? And I said, no. But I told him to go look it up online. Like an hour later, I got a knock on my door and I admittedly almost jumped out of my skin, thinking it's a demon child. It was my neighbor, and his eyes were freaking huge. He swears to me up and down that he had never heard of the Black Eyed Kids before and it's so similar to what happened to him. So we talked a little while longer and I told him that quite a few people possibly know about the urban legend and it's possible that it was just teenagers with black scalar contacts trying to freak people out on Halloween. But he said that the fear he felt was so primal and came over him that the second he opened the door for them, he knew not to. Anyway, guys, beware, I guess. Halloween would definitely be the perfect cover for them. Halloween would be the perfect cover if you were a demonic child just out for a stroll trying to get attention. But let's, let's continue on. Let's continue on. Thinking about it, he's right. Halloween would be the perfect cover for them, which is a rather ominous thought. In another account from a Reddit poster named Sarah Beth Eleven, we have our next harrowing tale from Halloween, with her claiming that this was her introduction to a phenomenon she had never even heard of before this fateful evening. She claims on this evening that it had been a slow trick-or-treat night with much less activity than usual. And at around 10 p.m., she went to let their dog Chloe outside while her husband went off to take a shower. It was about then that she had heard a knock on the door, which was odd because they had a doorbell button that glowed in the dark. As she went to go to the door, thinking it was late trick-or-treaters, she noticed that, the, that her dog was cowering in the corner, something which was very out of character for it. She looked to the door and could see the silhouettes of two young children standing there at the front of the door, frosted by the porch light, and she says that she looked out to see that they were just normal kids in regular clothes rather than the Halloween costumes. This was immediately odd, and what was also a little strange was that they seemed to be a little too young to be out so late with both of these kids, with the girl being around 11 or 12 years old and the boy only 8 or 9. She says what happened next 
thusly. The girl very politely spoke. Quote, ma'am, can we please come inside and use your phone to call our mom? As she spoke, something in the pit of my stomach was telling me something was wrong. What kid, even at that age, doesn't have a cell phone of their own to use these days? I couldn't remember the last time I had anyone asked to use my home phone. Quote, um, hun, don't you have a phone of your own you can call your mom on? I asked. This thing, this was, this was things really got weird. Both kids had turned to look at one another like they were going to say something to one another, but never, but neither ever spoke. They both turned back to me and the girl said, Ma'am, my cell phone battery doesn't have any charge left in it. Can we please come inside and call our mother? We're all alone out here, and my brother is scared. I have to admit, there were two competing feelings going on inside me. The first, that of a mother's heart that wanted me to help these two small children get to their mom. The other, a sinking fear in my gut that, it, that was keeping me, keeping the other feeling at bay. It was then that I noticed, during the short conversation, I had already opened the door a few extra inches which I was completely unaware of doing. I stopped. Quote, Honey, why don't you give me your mother's number and I'll call her myself? Another pause, and they looked at one another. After a short moment, they turned back to me and the girl said, Ma'am, my little brother has to use your bathroom. Can we come inside and you, and can we come inside while you call her mom? And that, and with that last statement, that little girl moved closer to the door, like she was just going to walk on in by me. As she did, she stepped into the light coming from inside the house, and I got my first real good look at her. Solid, jet black eyes. That's all I could see. That motherly instinct was gone and replaced with terror I don't think I've ever felt in my life. I could feel every hair on my arm and at the back of my neck standing at attention. I closed the door to where just my face was able to stick out. The little girl stopped and again pleaded, Ma'am, please, we're really scared and all alone out here. We have to come inside. Please help us. Then, like on cue, both kids began to whimper and cry. That's when my fear took over, and I shut, the, and, shut and locked the door. Quote, I'll call your mom if you give me the number. I shouted through the door. But I'm not letting you in my house. I could still see them stand there on the porch, just staring at me through the beveled glass pane. Part of me wanted to run upstairs to my husband, but the bigger part of me didn't want to lose track of where they were. That would have freaked me out even more to know that they were not there. After what seemed like forever, but probably only a few seconds, I decided to call my neighbor that lived across the street. And as I made my way to the side table on our couch to my phone, I glanced back at the door. Chloe was nowhere to be found. We later found her in the guest room under the bed. When I got to my phone and started to look for her contact info, it was only then that the kid stepped away from the door and began to walk to the street. As they did, I walked to the door to get a better look to see where they were, still, still not calling my neighbor. If you get close enough to the glass, you can see out enough to make out people's shapes, but you can't see the detail. Of course, standing, the, standing that close to the door would make you pretty obvious to anyone on the outside looking in. From the door, I could see that the kids were still standing under the street lamp nearest my house, staring at me. And as I lifted the phone to my ear, calling out, only then did the kids start walking down our street. I met my neighbor out underneath the lamp. He was out there, but the kids 
were nowhere to be seen. So what is truly happening? Where are we these days? These are the strange things that plague us. These are the things that go bump in the night. And this is why we do the paranormal perspective to remind you good people that there are so many strange factors out there that you've got to pay attention to and that you're more powerful than you think and belief truly is the key this is why we do these things not only to raise awareness about these strange things that are taking place but to let you know that you're not alone when you go through these things ladies and gentlemen ghouls and ghoulies this is the Paranormal Perspective, Volume 8. However, ladies and gentlemen, that's all I really have for you. I know, it was a switch up for a reason. These days are increasingly getting chaotic, dark, as we all know. But this is why we had to switch things up. This is the evolution of the paranormal question. What are the Black Eyed Kids? What is coming through these portals? What else is out there that we don't know about? Time will only tell, ladies and gentlemen. Creeps and zombies, you ghouls, you freaks. All I can really say is be safe out there. And remember, guys and gals, stay vigilant. Expose lies and share truth. This is Noise Era, Freedom Faction, out. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.